Hello and welcome to the Burn and White Noise podcast podcast. My name is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Easy, Chewie. So we're talking today about Rogue One, the new Star Wars anthology film. A Star Wars story. Yeah, which we both saw at midnight screenings on night of the 14th morning of the 15th here in Australia. In sunny Australia. Got it a bit earlier than some of you. <laughs> now, would you mind if I began by asking you a series of loaded questions about yeah, Rogue yeah, yeah. One? Yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it. Okay, this Start is... easy and build, work up. <laughs> this is based on some some things that I've seen people saying about Rogue One mm-hmm. online. Okay, if I'll I... put my uh, thinking TIE fighter <laughs> helmet on. <laughs> These are more or less fairly straightforward Yes or no questions, just to start like, off. Does Qui Gon Jinn have a character? <laughs> Stuff like that, but Rogue One. It's even simpler than that. Mm-hmm. This is based on what people have genuinely been saying about this film. So, question one mm. Was Rogue One the best Star Wars film <laughs> ever? <laughs> no. What? No. No. Was no. Rogue One. Better than anything since The Empire Strikes Back in terms of Star Wars. Like, that's, that's like, I get what they're trying to go with that, but no. No, it's not. Was it, okay, so now we've eliminated those elements. Was it the best of the Disney era Star Wars films, i.e. was it better than Force Awakens? No, 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 it wasn't. Uh, okay, I agree with you on all of those points. It should have been the best of the Disney era. It could have it been. It could have been. It wasn't. No. Um, when they decided to not have a beginning to the movie, yeah. that was kind of where they lost any chance of being, like, a best. Yeah, so what I guess, or I'm assuming you're implying there is the idea that Rogue One had a very messy opening act. Yes. If you split Rogue One up into... Three acts. I don't know why I'm saying three. It might not even be the best way to split it up. Yeah, but I'm just saying like yeah. beginning, middle, and end yeah. of it. The beginning was an incoherent mess of just like. Meanwhile, in this the space station, someone's assassinated, and then flashback to this thing happening, and now we're over here, and like the story yeah. doesn't actually start until you're on your way into like. The half, the like halfway through yeah, the movie. Yeah, I felt like that as well. I felt like that when the story opened, it was like we're on this planet. Now we're on this planet. Then we're on back to this planet. Now some other planet. We'll put the names of the planet on the screen to help you remember them. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. I just felt it jumped around a lot and was a bit. That was a bit not difficult to follow, but it just left me feeling bewildered. I didn't yeah, feel it was, like I had something to latch on You could onto. follow it easily. It was just a matter of being like, okay, but why did we even visit mm. that planet for one scene yeah. which could have taken place anywhere else? Yes. Yeah, so the, the film sort of jumps around in t- time and space quite <laughs> a bit early on. And, and that's, yeah, sort of what I... When I was writing some notes for this, that was definitely something that... I pointed out something that bothered me and that was a real there was a real messiness I felt where it was always like after we'd introduced the the main protagonist Jin Erso and her father and director Krennic the main antagonist 
there was this whole sequence where they're jumping back and forth between planets and people and everyone's going Saw Gerrera Saw Gerrera we've got to find Saw Gerrera and I was like stop saying Saw Gerrera <laughs> like, <laughs> we, get, we get it you've got to find Saw Gerrera you know and we see all these different people looking for Saw Gerrera and that sort of encapsulated for me this aspect of the film yeah that it was kind of jumping around and moving back and forth between things unnecessarily it could have been more straightforward and that wouldn't have harmed the film in yeah. any way but at least at that point they had like a goal and like a yeah. direction but you know that still took way too long to get to yes and that was only one of several like shifting kind of yeah goals kind of good. like it was a stepping happen. stone along the way to what the actual main yeah. plot was and and there's nothing wrong with the plot no. having that level of complexity it's just if you're going to do that, at least start early with a goal. Yes. And, and then move forward from there. Yeah. The goal changes. The like antagonist does something and they go, oh crap, we have to react to that. Whatever. Make your decisions and mm. change where the goal is set. Move towards that. But at the beginning, there's no set goal. It was just stuff happening. And the only coherence was the fact that we as audience members know where this is situated in the Star Wars timeline. Yeah, and it's heavily dependent, I felt, on Mm. that context. If you showed this movie to someone who hadn't seen the first Star Wars, A New Hope, Mm. then, like, the, the, like, plot of the movie doesn't make... Like, that, it's nothing. I know? mean, yeah, I, I mean, I wonder if that's the case, because I, I have read people saying, like, oh, I show, you know, someone who was with me who sort of never seen Stars before, and they really liked it. But I definitely felt that it seemed like, yeah, we were thrown in with a bunch of stuff that didn't really seem arranged in a particularly effective way. Yeah. Um. Although we've been really negative on it right up front. <laughs> yeah. I think overall I enjoyed it. I enjoyed parts of it. Yeah. Like my response would be parts of it I enjoyed, parts of it I found extremely boring. Yeah. That and that I came away from it feeling like, oh, that was that was boring was my reaction. Because I couldn't I, I couldn't outweigh the parts that were dull by focusing on, on the, the parts ex- that exciting weren't. parts. Yeah. That's fair. I mean for me, I still overall it was enjoyable. There were parts that were so bad that yeah. I was almost like repulsed by it, like <laughs> Darth okay. Vader cracking puns. I was yeah, just like, there's been a mixed response to that. What? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I I felt really bad about that. Well, you. By the way, there are spoilers, obviously, in this <laughs> podcast. What? We're, we're not what? Sort of, uh, Tiptoeing around that, um, yeah. Vader cracking puns about his force choke power—that was so lame. Uh, but then there were some really cool bits um, that don't really stand out when you're thinking back to it. The, the biggest aspect of fan service or coolness that I liked was, even though it was really weird and looked unsettling, was the use of. Grand Moff Tarkin in the film. Grand Moff's uh, bubblehead. Yeah. yeah, bubblehead. Yeah, it's like the one of the dashboard things <laughs> that you put in your car. Yeah, he had an, a strange-looking face. 
CGI face. And it looked a bit too big for the rest of his body. Uh, so but yeah. at the same time, I still enjoyed all his bits. Mm. It was <laughs> it was used well. Although he may as well have been the main villain. Yeah, they may as well have not bothered having yeah. Krennic. This guy in, in the it. white suit and yeah. everything. Um, but the bobblehead that I didn't like was Princess Leia at the end. Yeah, who appears very briefly. Yeah, but, but that looks... was very heavy, uncanny valley to me. Yes, and again, that's another thing people have been saying, oh, I didn't even realise it was CGI and things like that. And, and, and I, I, can't, I find that amazing that people were so convinced by that because I found it entirely unconvincing. Yeah. If everyone had looked like that, if everyone had had animated faces, then it wouldn't have, yeah, looked, it wouldn't have been. It an would issue. have looked like one of those creepy Robert Zemeckis <laughs> motion capture films. Either the guy with the train, yeah, or like <laughs> Beowulf or whatever. Oh, but that um, was that was not Beowulf. Well, no, but that was kind of what it made me think of. But seeing a character like that in a room full of real people mm-hmm. unsettled me. Yeah. Know, uh, they could have recast, they could have used old footage, they could have done a whole number of things for Leia. Yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, the same thing with, with Moffy. Yeah, so he just didn't need to have such a big role. As much as I enjoyed his parts in the film, they didn't have to have him. The, the kind of thing is, even that, like, I think the CGI that they used for him was really unconvincing and, and detracted from the film. But at the same time, I really liked that they had the character in yeah. the film. So it's like, I'm quite torn between those aspects. Yeah, he was still one of the best parts of the movie. Because they brought that presence, even though it's just the, uh, the British actor Guy Henry is his name. He was just, he was having someone else's face digitally put over his face and doing this kind of Peter Cushing impersonation. It felt like this authoritative, powerful yeah. character who was coming in and stealing Krennic's thunder kind of thing. And I thought that worked well and he was a very... Uh, he was really engaging when he was in the film. Yeah. But at the same time, he had this strange face that <laughs> I couldn't help stare at in amazement and horror. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay, so if we're talking about him, then what about our new antagonist for this movie? Yeah, Krennic. I thought there were aspects of his characterization that I liked. Mm-hmm. I liked this idea that he was the director of the Death Star program, like apparently. Oh, is that what he was? Or was that what he was? <laughs> I have no I idea. I knew he was in charge of something, something, either the R and D for it, yeah, or like yeah, the maybe, overall construction. Maybe that was it. Like he was in, he was had some position of responsibility, mm. and he had a cool cape. <laughs> yeah, and his his personal guard. I think they could have. I really think they could have played up that idea that he has his personal guard. I think maybe if they wanted to have more of a to-and-fro with Tarkin, or even if they'd been looking for excuses to not have Tarkin in the film, he could have had spies within the Imperial power structure who said, oh, you know, Tarkin's coming to take over. And he panicked and was like, oh, I'm going to go to Darth Vader and try and uh, head Tarkin off before he can come and steal my command and things like that. And I think they could have played up more an idea that maybe he was some kind of 
rogue yeah. ele- element within within the empire. That would have been really cool. Because um, it's just hard to see where he yeah, fit in. Yeah. Like you've got the em- the emperor mm. at the very top of the chain, and then yeah. it seems to be under him. You have like. On one side, you have Vader yeah. as like a separate chain, independent from yes. the rest of the structure mm. of the Empire. Yeah, and then on the other side, you go to Tarkin, Tarkin yeah. and then the rest falls under there. Yes, and so I wanted to know where Krennic fit yes. in that scheme and why he thought, "Oh, I'm being screwed over by Tarkin. I'll go to Vader mm. as an alternate route yes. to the Emperor." It would have been cool to know where he fit into that. To, yeah, more for clearly. that to just be a bit more interesting. Yeah, because there was a bit of confusion I felt over: is he Tarkin's rival? Yeah, or is, or he, is he Tarkin's under Tarkin? Yeah, yes, or is it kind of a bit of both? Because they're maybe from two slightly different strands of the command structure. And if he's under Tarkin, then why does he have his own personal guard? Yes. Uh, yeah. So, I, I did like the idea, though, that he went to Vader to try to get the Emperor's attention. Mm. I like that he wanted to get... But it was difficult to get an audience with the Emperor, as you expect. And I like the idea, which was a bit like in Star Wars A New Hope, where the Emperor's only mentioned, we never see him, that the Emperor was this elusive figure... The good thing about that is it fits in with the continuity yeah. of the original trilogy. Yeah, and as entertaining the- as it would have been to have, you know, I- Ian McDavid show up and yeah. be like, uh, Director Krennic, you have been fired from the Death Star <laughs> program, you know. <laughs> I think, I think Here's that, your severance package. Yeah. <laughs> Force lightnings him out of the window. I think, I think it would have... I, I think that it was good that they made him again feel like this elusive, mysterious character. Yeah. Which worked well. What, what about the presentation of Vader was also presented as this mysterious character. He lived in, like, Baradur, <laughs> like, in the land of Mordor. And yeah, I, I felt like I heard, like, the Lord of the Rings music yeah. playing when we got over there. He was in this bloody lava castle. Yeah. I, I'm thinking, this guy's... He wants to be the furthest from lava as he possibly yeah. can be. And supposedly that was meant to be Mustafar. Really? Supposedly, yeah. That's what someone who made the f- was involved to make the film has said. That was meant to be Mustafar. Was it? Was all of Mustafar like that mining facility, though? Did they? Well, that's only that we saw else? in yeah. Revenge of the Sith. But, but in Star Wars, the planet seems to have a single purpose and like a yes. single biome. Like, <laughs> yes. Uh, biosphere, yeah, biosphere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a bit weird. I, I kind of liked Vader floating around in the the back tank. tank yeah. Although I would have preferred it if he was in his clamshell yeah. from the original trilogy mm. because that's just iconic. Yes. Um, and I would have loved to hear the sound of it opening up again and mm. all that jazz. Yeah. Um. And that first scene with Vader, I thought was so badass and awesome until the pun. Okay. Uh, And the bit where he's walking away and then chokes him without even looking at him and stuff, I thought was great. Then he turns around to reveal that he's doing the, like, gesture. Yeah. Which I'm like, and then he does the pun as well. It's just like, come on. Like... (laughs) 
It's it was a, such a good moment and you ruined it. I guess it's a bit like that bit in Return of the Jedi where he says to Moff Jergerod, he says, you know, uh, the Emperor is not as forgiving as I am. You know, that's a bit of a joke mm. that, that Vader He does have, like, that, yeah, a sense of humour yeah, because normally he just kills everybody. Yeah. But don't choke on your words yeah, is your not that dark sense yeah. of humour. Yeah, I felt that Vader in in his first appearance, he didn't look quite right. It was the me. neck. The, well, yeah, the neck definitely for some reason is sort of flapping up from the chest, and it's above the cape. Yeah, the cape. Something was yeah, definitely yeah, looked funny weird. with the cape. Felt like he, in the, his later appearance, he looked a lot better. I felt. I, I, mean, I couldn't even tell that was, there was a difference by that yeah, point. Yeah, I, I just felt when he first appeared, maybe it was like he'd hurriedly put on his costume <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to go out and meet meet Krennic. There was also the fact that James L. Jones, he doesn't sound quite the same anymore, but he's very old. I can Yeah, and you can get past that. that. But I, I almost feel like they could have possibly tweaked the voice to more to make it sound more like how he used to, but... I thought Vader... I thought the scene... A lot of people have been really focused on that final scene with Vader. Where and he starts butchering. We're going to have to get back to the main content yeah, yeah, yeah. at some point. But if, if we can sort of... I guess we were focusing on the fan service moments, mm. first of all. To be positive about the film. Did you, did you like the scene where he came onto the rebel flagship, pulled out his lightsaber and killed a bunch of people? Uh, I did, but I feel that I shouldn't have. Yeah, I agree. Um, like, it was really fun to watch. Mm. Uh, and I thought that Rebel guy should have gone the CD or floppy disk or yeah, whatever, like, through, through the, the door, door straight yeah, away. Not mucking around. Um, would have made that whole bit even better. Uh, but at the same time, like, that's not the Vader we're used to, again. Because we're used to Vader, like, coming in and just being this menacing presence and you don't know what it's capable yes. of until it's too late. Yes. You're like, you'd think stormtroopers would have breached the, well, the yes, ship. exactly and like And would have come in with them, yeah. The Stars and New Hope. So, and, because that's what happened there. Yeah, and so when you think about Stars and New Hope, which is just, like, half an hour after this film, mm. not even... Yeah. Um, Vader's suddenly not jumping through the doors and cutting yes. people up. Like, did he get tired? <laughs> like, did that take it all out of him? Was or was he just he, like... Was it because oh. he'd been in the back to tank recovering yeah. and now he was starting to get a bit worn out? It's again. like, that's enough murder for me today. Yeah, I felt like, even though it was a cool moment, I think that for an ending that was so heavily trying to tie into the original Star Wars yep. film... It was a bit silly to have something that was so tonally inconsistent yes. with the original film where stormtroopers burst in. And Vader just sort of, he walks in after the, as the smoke clears and he sort of puts his hands on his hips and stands there surveying the situation. Yeah, stepping over rebel bodies yeah, and he doesn't burst menacing, in with his yeah. lightsaber and cut loads of people. In down. fact, he doesn't get the lightsaber out till the Obi-Wan yes. battle and that's a completely different fight. Again, it's not like force choking throwing people around and dancing about with his lightsaber yes and i I felt like it having that moment really it was really quite different to the presentation of vader especially in a new hope where he's this enforcer who it seems he is the guy who he's the high-ranking guy who actually is on the front lines in the battle but that doesn't mean he's literally the guy doing all the the fighting in the battle he's just like this kind of front line commander who makes sure the job gets done 
in this case, he's literally the guy doing, doing the, the job. job. The job. Like, they didn't have any spare stormtroopers? Whatever. Yeah, and he even says, prepare a boarding party in the thing. <laughs> yeah. And then the stormtroopers are all like behind him when he gets into the ship in, in Rogue One. So yeah, that aspect was cool to see him. And, and it was the, the desperation and the terror of the rebel troopers as this horrible thing comes down the corridor. Yeah, that was cool. It was effectively done. Mm. But, you know, that's an effective moment. Which is not necessarily 100% consistent with what's around it in the rest of the film, I felt, and in the wider Star Wars context. Which would be, again, people saying, well, it's a different film, different kind of thing. That would be fine if this wasn't so strongly trying to tie in. Yeah, exactly. If they wanted to keep it like a separate thing, then Mm. don't really try to link it straight into the beginning of A New Hope. And and maybe that sort of will lead us towards talking about the other the other non like, or less fan servicey content. I kind of fe- felt like there's just some notes I was putting down mm. beforehand. I felt like the film didn't quite know whether it wanted to be this serious war film about this characters or like this nerdy fan service <laughs> film and it felt like there was a, I felt there was a bit of a conflict between those elements in the film which made it inconsistent yeah and if they if they had to pick between the two which I don't believe they had to no like they could have achieved both just um, by toning toning, yeah, toning down the down. fan service yeah. a little bit like uh like I think Star Wars fans are very observant and yes. were very uh, willing to put in the hard yards for yes, something with we, any kind of very popular franchise yeah. like this. We could have had all the same like references and fan service and stuff, but mm. being not so like stop the movie because now here are the guys from the cantina. Yes, the, having those two guys, I think, uh, what are their names? Cornelius and Ponderbaba. I thought that was... Jeez, like they're, that. they're having the worst day. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, having a drink at the cantina. We just got away from this planet. They blew the whole thing up. Yeah. Now we're here and I'm picking a fight. Yeah, got my, got, <laughs> got my arm, arm chopped off. off. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the fan service aspect actually reminded me more than anything of the prequels. Oh, yeah? In fact, I even felt like in some respects this was like the, the kind of corny fan service of the prequels amped up further. That's, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Uh, because obviously in the original trilogy, they didn't need to do fan service because no. it was what it was. Um, but the prequels have loads of fans. Yeah, the prequels themselves are loaded with it. And this really reminded me of that. Uh, how did, uh, sort of before we get into that, I thought I'd mention while I'm talking about it. How did you think it compared to the prequels? Uh, a lot better. I prefer it to the prequel trilogy entirely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I really need to like sit down and have a good think about it. Yeah. Uh, but I think overall, yes. Because in my head, I also confuse what actually happened in the prequels with all the uh, like fan treatments and yes. everything people have talked mm. about. And I like to yeah. have my own head canon as <laughs> all these fan treatments. Yeah. Which makes me then think back onto the prequels a bit more fondly. Yeah. When you actually sit down and think 
how did the prequels work as t- in terms of movies? And yeah. you're like, oh, wait, they were terrible, yeah. weren't they? Well, that's the thing. I, I was kind of thinking, is this... How does this compare to the prequels? And I thought, well, I found this quite dull at a lot of points. But then I thought, oh, when I was re-watching... For instance, uh, I don't know, earlier this year I re-watched Attack of the Clones mm. and it was so boring. And I thought, okay, well, I certainly, certainly, like, can't... It was no worse than a prequel on that count. Probably had less cringeworthy mm. dialogue and stuff. So... Yeah, at least these guys had some good dialogue. I think this is flawed in different ways. Yeah. It, it prob- While the characters from, were flat, that yeah. they were acted well. Yeah, from from as objective a standpoint as I can muster, I, yeah, I think it'd be a, it'd be excessive for me to say that I thought this was like worse than the than the prequels upon rewatch. I, you know, it's like I feel bad criticizing the prequels almost because it feels like, like kicking a puppy kind of thing. <laughs> you know, like they've already taken so much flack; it almost seems pointless, but. Yeah, I. Anyway, that was just a, a side thing. I think this did, but it, it was there were aspects of it that sort of were more competently done than the, than the prequels. But but there were aspects that yeah reminded me of the prequels quite a lot, like the fan service, particularly. So if we go on to the the bulk of the film because because yep. we've really focused on like a few bits Tarkin scenes and this kind of final sequence which we can go into more but there's a lot of stuff before that with our new characters mm-hmm. and it's been my experience and this was my thought coming out and it seems to have been the people who have been criticizing the films have been saying a similar thing that the main characters in this film were not interesting <laughs> I'm going to have to agree. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, pilot dude. What was he? What was interesting about him? He may have gone a bit insane. Turned out he did not go insane. Yeah, he from got better. The, yeah, he got better really quickly, and you mm. couldn't even tell what worse was. Yeah, Bodhi. He he had a very small little bit of character yeah, development right at the end. He, he like. Kind of- he like found his courage and like a cause and became a bit of a leader yeah and i th- when i was watching i was like oh he had a little he had a little character development there that's nice but i think <laughs> he was the only one of the team to have like character development i mean you could say that the assassin spy dude yeah, had Cassian. had character development because he didn't pull the trigger uh, yes. To shoot thingy, but arguably he didn't pull the trigger because he decided that it would be better for the mission not yes. to, yes. not because he had his own like moral change or because he felt mm. connected to uh, yes. the female protagonist. I can't even remember any of their names. This <laughs> is how I've had to look it up. So Jin is the name Jin. of the of the, of the lady. Yeah, it wasn't a connection to Jin that like, the man, made yeah. him not pull the trigger. <laughs> Cassian doesn't pull the trigger because he reevaluates the strategic like worth yeah, of the I, guy's I think life. You could definitely argue that. And there was a bit where he was saying to her on the when they got back to the ship, he's saying, "Oh, you know, I've been through this stuff. You're not the only one who's lost people and uh, that kind of thing." I and you know, I didn't. I was going to assassinate father, but I didn't, did I? And I thought, like, "Oh, that's that's interesting." I I felt when he started saying that. But then, 
didn't really get more yeah, of that. Yeah, that wasn't and, explored. <laughs> and that hadn't happened earlier. Because when he was first introduced and he appeared on that planet and he interrogated that informant and then shot him. Shot him so I, that the informant couldn't say he'd yeah, been there I, or whatever. I thought, oh, I hate this guy. This guy, are we going to see more of him? I don't want to see more of him. And then, you know, I did come to feel a little bit more appreciation for his character, but it just felt like this was a character that there could have been so much more done with it. Yeah, he, it was, he didn't it go anywhere. It was frustrating that more wasn't done. And his, uh, his, the way he sparred with Jin in that regard was just this one little scene that didn't bear out in a more complex way, which was frustrating. Jin herself... Jin herself apparently undergoes some sort of transformation and she decides that she's not going to look out for herself, she's going to look out for everybody. But that was so sudden and it just felt really forced and I didn't think any of it was natural or convincing it was just like i don't like you guys i do my own thing (laughs) next scene i'm leading this like inspirational speech and these like hardened like rebels are like applauding and debating it and (laughs) stuff people wiping tears yeah (laughs) being like we should listen to this girl yeah i thought yeah she did undergo character development but it was very rapid and not handled with as much subtlety as it could have been. Mm-hmm. And and there's this real dilemma when people are talking about this, I've noticed where people are saying, on the one hand, people are saying, oh, but they, they did have character development, you know, and it's not like the characters in a normal episode of Star Wars have that much characterization or anything. But at the same time, people are also saying, oh, this isn't like a Star Wars episode. This is a much more serious, dramatic thing. And it's like, well, which is it? <laughs> you know, uh, Is it something where the characters were or were expected to be kind of very heavily developed? Or was it like an episode of Star Wars where the characters are more like archetypes? And it felt like, again, kind of like the fan service versus the serious matter, it felt like, this was a film that possibly was having a bit of a challenge trying to find its feet. Well, I think you can uh, definitely say that that's the case because they had to go back and reshoot half of it. Yes. I, I'm not sure which where, half yeah, it started where, where with the and, reshoots yeah. fit in. I'm, I'm imagining that there was, a, there was a thing I read that was about yeah, Cassian killing that guy mm-hmm. on... The early planet, which whatever it was, and I think it was just a space station yeah. that was uh, between two asteroids. Yes, and he and he killed what's his name from series three of Ashes to Ashes, the, like the, the <laughs> e- evil internal affairs guy That's who it was from Ashes to Ashes. Yeah, who was like the, secretly the devil or yeah. whatever. He killed him. And then I read a thing where someone suggested, oh, was this maybe from an earlier, darker version of the film? That I, was I think it could have been. Re-shot? I think the just by speculating and based on the movie is like two different movies. Hmm. Um, that the first one was more of a war film. Yes. And then they've added in some other stuff to make it a bit more lighthearted. Yes, I think so as well. And a bit more hopeful. Mm. Even, 
and like you could tell that with the trailer as well when they released the the final trailer beforehand yes. it was all about hope was the key word yes. in it and you know rebellions are built on hope yes uh whereas before i think like hope was ultimately within them all but they were fighting hard for it yes. and like sacrificing for it was more of the point i don't know mm. Well, I felt I, th- I felt like the failing of the film was that when all the characters died at the end, I didn't care. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the only death I cared about was actually uh, Cassius. Is that the the spy guy? Cassian. Cassian. No. He gets shot, and I was like, "Oh, that was that was beautiful." The way they just killed him off in the middle of a thing, and he's just lying, and he's just lying gantry, in the pit. Yeah. I was like, "Oh." <laughs> amazing way to kill a character very, i'm so glad realistic. they're doing it it's so yeah. realistic and it made uh oh, i've forgotten his name again krennic 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 yeah. it made him more of a badass villain yeah. as well because he just gets just his gun out yeah. and shoots a main character yes and then all oh, that is blown to the wind when, when five this, minutes yeah, later this cliche climb yeah. to the top and Turns Shut out that Jin can't fight for herself mm. and has to be saved by yeah. this guy, which I thought took away from the fake killing of him earlier, and it took away from uh, the villain and his badassery, and it took away from Jin as a character who yes. can fend for herself. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, especially because there was this whole conflict between them, you know... Krennic killed her father, yeah. you know, and, and it didn't really, she didn't quite sort of get, he didn't quite get his comeuppance from her, which maybe wasn't as, it sort of lacked a bit of a dramatic thrust that could have happened as a result of that. And what's the point of bringing this guy back to mm, life? Yeah. So that he can face the explosion Yeah, so they can, die. so they can cuddle each other on yeah. the beach. Yeah, oh. Be like, well, at least we've got each other, but we're not going to kiss or anything because we were. <laughs> Which this... I'm really glad they didn't. Yeah, because I'm... if they did, that would have. Oh, I'm glad they. I, I guess I'm glad they didn't because it felt it would have been too much. It would have been a real like old fashioned like this is what movies were like in the old days where the two characters fall in love or whatever. Also, I, I think didn't... with that whole like facing explosions, yeah. like so many people did that in this movie. Mm. Maybe they're trying to make some point about yeah. it, but I would have preferred it if uh, that final explosion sweeping over the base. If Jin was running for a ship or trying yes, to get out, yes. Like, why wasn't she fighting for her life? I exactly thought this. It would have been really good if, uh, yeah, I said if the characters maybe they knew it was a suicide mission, yep. but they were like, Haha, "We're not gonna like die. We're gonna escape." Or they thought they could escape, and and they were going to, yeah, be be have some plan. Oh, the rebels have sent us in to die, but we're not going to die. We're going to escape, and there there's a way out. We're going to live. Oh no, we're not. Yeah, and, and that would have been like, oh, that's such a that's such a shocking, but again, sort of maybe kind of true to life ending. It would have been really much more harrowing but yeah. it also depended on those characters being more engaging yeah. than they were <laughs> but just, it would have been a lot cooler right I mean yeah you didn't care when they died on the beach cuddling but you could have cared if Jin was running to a ship or mm. piloting a ship trying yeah. to outlast mm. it 
and you're sitting there thinking, oh my God, are they going to let her live? Is she yes. not going to live? What's going to happen? Then she gets enveloped by the explosion or something. You know? Yeah. That would have been powerful. I'm, I'm trying to think of what there, because there are things that do that where you think they're going to escape and then they don't. But I can't think of an example of it on my head, unfortunately. <laughs> but, yeah, that would have been more powerful. I What did you think of the other characters? Uh, so we had the robot. Yeah, K2SO, the droid. Uh, who was uh, voiced by uh, Tudyk, right? Al- Alan Tudyk, I'm Tudyk, assuming uh, that's how you pronounce his name. From, like, Firefly. From Firefly and various other um, And actually, I was... Credit to the movie, I was enjoying like it enough that I didn't like straight away notice that he was the voice, or maybe it was just his voice in it was different enough, or they did enough effects to it. I didn't notice it. I knew it was him already, but I couldn't. I couldn't really tell that I wasn't. I didn't feel like I was just listening yeah. to him. So like credit there, um, and the robot was an interesting character ish. Yeah. Like, he wasn't trusted with uh, weapons, but he was highly proficient with them. Yes. Um, and had, like, a... Pardon me. Uh, he had, like, a casual view on murder and death. Mm. And he was, like, tactical evaluations and stuff. And in the end, he sacrifices himself so that the mission can succeed. And he's finally trusted. That sort of stuff was cool enough. I liked how... There was a bit where the stormtroopers are like, okay, we're going to reprogram you. And mm. that was like a bug out moment. Yes. Because he doesn't want to be reprogrammed. Yes. I thought that was like a cool thing. Yeah. My issue with him was that he was the comic relief character. Yeah, there was a bit too much that. And it was just, he needs to make a joke now. He needs to make another joke now. And there were some of his jokes were funny. Yeah, I remember a few that like no one in the theatre reacted to at all. But then a couple where everyone laughed at. Yeah, there were... I think the theatre I... The the cinema I was in was... uh, People were enjoying themselves. And people did laugh at his jokes. I found some of them... Some of them amusing, some of them a bit cringeworthy. Which seems to be a common thing uh, with these characters comic relief characters in in modern sci-fi sometimes i find a bit grating personally but i thought yeah he was okay but he could have he could have been better almost like everything else in this film then we have a the monk type guy who's like a jedi fanatic his name was chirrut apparently okay and like i wasn't quite sure on what his deal was like had he trained with jedi when he was a child and then they've all been killed? Or was he just, like, a fan of the philosophy? And it is all, like, a Force-sensitive? Yes. Like, what connection did he actually have to the Force? And how was that tuned and whatnot? I would have liked to have known. Uh, but happy, kind of, I guess, happy with his pseudo-connection or what he got from it. He had interesting scenes. Uh, apparently, he can bloody destroy a TIE fighter with his... Bow and arrow. Yes. Did was that also his did his staff turn into a giant <laughs> rocket launching crossbow or was, was it that a different staff? thing? I don't know. I know. He just all of a sudden had like this thing which he could use to yeah, shoot. Yeah, he was like carrying fighters. a baluster around with him in his pants. Um, but I thought I liked his relationship with his like uh, buddy, his yeah, like protector. Yeah, was his name dude. apparently. 
That was cool. I thought the two of them were the most effective characters or supporting characters. But again, I felt like they they were good and I could have almost seen more of them. Yeah. But they would have been, again, more effective in a film where the overall, the whole group of characters were stronger and they talked to each other more and had more of a, more of a relationship with each other rather than just a little little bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And he had some funny lines about being blind and things like that. And he was... I, what about his repeated mantra? You know, he's like, I'm on a divorce, the forces with me. <laughs> I thought it was kind of good because it wasn't like a mantra that we were familiar with in the Star Wars universe. Like it kind of made it sound like he didn't quite have the right information or he was like self-taught type of thing. With his connection that way, which yeah. I thought was nice. I think and it, it also sh- showed that he wasn't super confident with everything as well. Yeah. Like, he had to assure himself of mm. everything before going through, which made his character more interesting. Yes, I found the endless repetition of the mantra a bit tiresome after a while, but I thought, I thought he was interesting in depicting... They don't want to have a Jedi in the film, mm-hmm. but they had a character who maybe showed a different side, potentially, that there were people who weren't Jedi who believed in the Force. Or, yeah, because it's meant um, to be a pseudo-religion. Yes, which is something that the films, and especially the prequels, didn't really cover. Mm-hmm. It's even called like an old religion in... Uh, the original film but in the prequels it's basically just the Jedi yeah it's just like a government system but and I like that in this there was this sort of there would be a religion of people and there was a reference to the there was something to do with the wills W-H-I-L-L was mentioned in regards to them which is a reference to the very early scripts of the first film and the the novelisation of the first film in which the Wills were this ancient sort of force-sensitive race that recorded history or something like that. Okay. And it was meant to be like the story of Star Wars came from their records that they'd... I think it was meant to be like their records that they downloaded from R2-D2. Like, <laughs> you know, years and years yeah. after all the events of the films had happened kind of thing. And... That was a real nerdy reference for Star Wars fans, but it was it kind of gave us this idea. It worked in this context for giving us this idea that there was a side of the whole Force using sphere of activity that wasn't just the Jedi. And I thought, yeah, interesting idea, but again, it's something that could have yeah, they didn't do enough with it. They used more, yeah. With his friend Bays, I just thought, if if you can have a laser machine gun, why doesn't everyone have a laser <laughs> machine gun? Which was also a shotgun, apparently, because he was going with it <laughs> towards the end. Well, I think in all movies, you can yeah, cock any, yeah, weapon any weapon and, uh, at any time. Yeah. And, you know, it's not something that actually affects anything. Uh, but maybe the hand wave for that, other than a Jedi did it is that it was a custom job and that's not yeah. like... Or he was super strong and the only mm. one capable of lifting yeah. up such a weapon. Yeah. Blah, 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 composite shotgun. like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they all met up on the planet Jeddah, which is yep. where this Jedi, old Jedi t- temple or monastery is. No, something. it was uh, actually the statues from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, but in the future. Yeah. 
such the past. Yeah, the future past. Long time ago. The and then the the whole thing about Saw Gerrera, the pilot Bodhi bringing this message from Galen, who was Mm -hmm. June's father, to Saw Gerrera. I thought that whole bit was unnecessary. Yeah, Saw Gerrera. Saw Forest Whitaker's character just fell short. Um, and it kind of, this is another thing that for me, I was thinking, were they going to say something about like the nature of the rebels and the rebellion Mm. with his character and a couple of other bits that then was lost in the edit? Like maybe at one point or either, either it was intentional or this is just me trying to head canon a movie that's just come out in a way that makes it more interesting. Yeah. Maybe a big thing for this movie was the rebellion itself redeeming itself. Yes. And so you have the extremists of the rebellion mm. who have turned to military like violence and they'll do anything for any cost. Mm. And a uh, male protagonist guy, Cassie Cassowary, yeah. <laughs> he's one of them. Uh, Forrest Whitaker's character is a more extreme version. Yes. And all of those are wretched scums and villains that join Rogue One to lead the assault Yeah, are also the bulk of that. Like, basically, everyone that goes down and lands on that beach yeah. is the remnants of the dark side, if you were, of the rebellion. The people that were willing to be just as bad as the Empire to fight the yes. Empire. And that by doing this whole thing to get the plans, the rebellion itself has redeemed itself and made itself better and more pure and thus worthy to take up the mantle of defeating the Emperor. Like, I thought maybe they were going to go with that type of direction with Forrest Whitaker's character. Mm. But they didn't. In the end, he was just pointless. He was just a guy that we were told, oh, you don't want to be like him. People have done bad stuff. They'll do anything to achieve their cause. But then, like... He says hi and faces an explosion. Yes, and it felt like that whole thing about, oh, he's a leader of this fringe group. They're too extreme. They blow up stuff and shoot people in the streets, things like that. I felt like that, yeah, didn't really go anywhere. It it didn't feel like that was borne out in any meaningful way because at the end of the day, when the rebels... it, It felt like... Mon Mothma, early on... I quite like Mon Mothma in the film. I yep. thought she was, that was an effective use. And, like, super nerdy getting the actress from the Revenge of the Sith deleted scenes <laughs> back to play Yeah, her. that's like a nice touch of care, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, along with Jimmy Smith as Bail Organa. Uh, yeah, it was Organa. I couldn't remember his, like, first name, but I was like, oh, what? Yeah, unexpected. And then he's like, oh, I have someone in mind who can uh, do this yeah. mission for you. I was like, oh, what, what? Yeah, but it felt like she was going at the start, Mon Mothman's going, oh, Saw Guerrero, he's this violent, he's this militant extremist. He's caused a... Uh, rebellion all this trouble in the past I, th- I guess the impression was it made the rebellion look bad but then they they argue about what are we going to do about the Death Star plans oh we've got to fight no we can't fight and then they go oh Rogue One's gone to seize the Death Star plans we have to go and fight and she has this like, little smirk to herself like oh that's what I wanted to happen all along <laughs> and like, but before you didn't and I, I felt like and then when the Rebels fleet showed up at Scarif, I think the pilot's name was at the end, 
it was just a normal kind of triumphant Star Wars, X-Wings have arrived to yeah. fight the Empire kind of thing. It wasn't like, oh, we're doing dirty, wet work kind of stuff here. It was, yay, the Rebellion are super cool guys who've hmm. shown up to fight the evil totalitarian fascists, you yeah. know. So it just didn't fit in <laughs> with this character of the Rebellion that they were kind of painting. Yes, I felt like... They were trying to do this thing, yeah, about the rebellion being conflicted, but it both basically got resolved in one argument in a conference room. <laughs> where, where it was kind Ugh. of like, oh, the emp- the rebellion can't be like this. And then, well, what were they going to do? If there was some diplomatic side to the rebellion, we needed to see that, yeah. I felt. And also see why it doesn't always work. We need to see, yeah. like, both sides. Because there was, but that would have been a completely... Like, well, like, it's a yeah. whole movie in itself. But that's the thing why it feels like almost to me this film was trying to do way too many things. Mm-hmm. And it was especially trying to do a lot in very short sequences while also having these long, slow sequences where it wasn't doing very much at all. Yes. And there was some implication like Mon Mothma saying, oh, we've got to take the Death Star plans to the Senate and... Say, tell the Senate the Empire's building this super weapon and that'll change things. But that that was just one little bit of what was going on there. And it felt like this conflict within the rebellion wasn't given attention. And you can say, yeah, there wasn't enough time, but there wasn't enough time to do a lot of the things yeah. the film was trying to do. Think of how much time they could have saved if they, they ditched the whole Forrest Whitaker stuff and that whole planet and instead went from like kidnapped father Mm. to we have to get him because he sent us a message and we need to figure out what the actual message was or whatever blah 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 we know he's out there we have to get to him yes think of how much more time you could have had for the character development that we've been talking about Mm. would have been good yeah like you could have made a much better movie doing that or committing to the ideas that this whole segment of the movie yeah. brought up. Yeah. I, I felt like... If... Um, if we could move on to the... Yeah, the father at yep. this point. I, but, but yeah, just before I we go to that, I was just thinking... I could have... And I was, I was talking about this the other day. I, I was thinking that... I could have even watched a whole film about like the rebels like, what they were doing in general, like, what the Alliance was doing, like, the diplomacy, and maybe, like, small teams. I almost thought of something that was kind of like Rogue One, you could imagine, something like that, but kind of, like, inglorious bastard sort of thing, where there's little teams that... Almost this film with episodes in it, where these teams are doing all different stuff, because it's a big rebellion that has to have lots of groups of people, and then maybe aspects of it come back together at the end to... Fulfill yeah. some kind of just like task. an inglorious bastard. Yeah, yeah, that would have been really good. <laughs> That's just like an idea that came to me because it seemed like it seemed like there was aspects that that was what they were kind of going for, or how the rebellions often depicted. But sometimes the rebellions depicted as this big homogenous organization that all of the rebellion is in one place at one time, and at other times it's not. So yeah, it, yeah, it, it felt like. Trying to trying to f- include that bit was maybe biting off more than they could chew to give that aspect time to develop. 
So, if we move on to Jin's father, yep. Galen, who was played by Matt Galen yeah, who was the chief or one of the chief engineers of the Death Star. He was, uh, like, a really interesting character. I could have seen more yeah. of his character. Like, why, why didn't we? Yeah. Um, <laughs> like... Really, he could have been a whole movie. Yes, his life working for the yeah. Empire. Wouldn't... Like, one, how does he start working for an Empire? Was he just raised into it? Did he, like, where was he when it all happened? But regardless, he's working for the Emperor, and he seems to be in these situations where he's, like, whining and dining yeah. with the higher-ups and yes. White Cloak bad guy. Um, mm. And the, they, the Emperor is familiar with this whole family because they're living in, like, Coruscant or something yeah. developing the Death Star then what causes them to turn around and flee yeah. and how long are they away for and what change is made that they decide that they need him back Yes, and then talk us through the process of him deciding okay I am going to keep working for them but I'm going to sabotage them at the same time yeah. because if I didn't they would find someone else yes like, if they explored all of that, <laughs> yeah. that's a movie. Yeah. That's a movie I want to see. Yeah, I could have watched him and his family living in some imperial compound where they lived in luxury but were also prisoners. Yeah, that could have been and, really interesting. And I really could have seen a lot more in general from the Empire's point of view or mm-hmm. people or living within the Empire. And again, so it's like ideas that could have been... that like so many ideas being trying to be put into one film and I thought that that, yeah that could have been really interesting what what did you think I think you said you liked the idea that he deliberately built a weakness in the Death Star Uh, because I've always thought that it was it's a bit it's a little bit silly that there's this like exhaust pipe that if you shoot it the whole thing blows up um, and like, surely they would like have that protected in some way, like extra shielding at the very least. Uh, and so this idea that he's built the whole system up so that it has this particular flaw and it's one they won't know about mm. was really interesting. Like that was like, that's a good fix for this issue of okay. like, that's a bit funny. I, I never found it an issue. I didn't think that aspect was necessary, personally. You just think that if there's something that is this big and planet-destroying, yeah. it's going to have weaknesses. Something that, yeah, something that big and complex would have weaknesses. And even in Star Wars A New Hope, when all the general staff are meeting on the Death Star, what, one of them, General, general Tag, I think it is, says something like, you know, if they've got the plans, they may find a vulnerability. They may find a weak spot. And that's sort of within the context of that film, within the context of Star Wars, I think there is an acknowledgement of the idea that the Death Star could have weaknesses. I guess, as you say, the idea that there is literally like a hole on the outside that leads all the way to the reactor. Mm. I guess, yeah, that does make it seem kind of... uh, Bizarre that there would be that direct a weakness, but I think that was just maybe a, for me. I felt like that was a little, a little adding a little too much to the mythology okay. for me. I just sort of, I almost feel like that's the. And always, I have this test with prequels, and it's one of the reasons that I kind of don't like prequels in <laughs> oh, general. This is 
Sorry. This will be interesting, I'm saying. Is the, What's the test? It, the test is the, why didn't they mention this in the originals <laughs> test? And it's always like, if this thing, ha- in anything, if this is a prequel, why did no one bring this up? In the, you know, which is a limiting thing. But yeah. it's like, my, I don't know, my uh, obsessive love of details in these things makes me think, wouldn't someone in, in Star Wars have said... Oh, when, you know, Galen Urso sent us... He deliberately built a hole in the Death Star that we can attack, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just a really stupid nitpick. But I guess they didn't uh, know so much. Yeah, yeah I, I'm just I'm just kind of wanking on about mm. that. I just That was just a thing I felt. If you just said, oh, I, I'm sending you the plans for the Death Star, that... Yeah, like, <laughs> they could have just said that the plans in and of themselves yeah. are valuable and that yeah. by studying them you'll find weaknesses yeah I, you know that's just a, that's just a silly thing uh i mean yeah personally i didn't think it was necessary to have, have a built-in weakness but overall that wasn't that wasn't like a big issue for me or anything like that i thought the scene where he died that whole sequence mm. on the like stormy mountainous planet yep i found that whole sequence a bit like boring I felt yeah because you were like okay but would your character sacrifice himself for these scientists like what are these scientists like why are they why yeah. are they interesting I thought are they, we were, I thought they were gonna... held against their will or yeah I thought they... they were going to go into the facility and see what yep. was happening I don't know which could have been cool you could have seen them working on evil emperor stuff yeah it seemed like all that happened was Krennic showed up, he yelled at them, shot people, and then X-Wings showed up and blew Bond up them, yeah. things. And Jin had this... Uh, ran to a father and spoke to him and then he died. I, I actually think it would have been clever if he hadn't died. I was like, oh, it would be very ambitious right now if he didn't die. Because that would be the cliche thing to happen <laughs> would be if he did die. But it felt that when she saw his hologram... It felt like her reaction to that was stronger than the reaction to that she actually had when seeing he, she was holding him in his arms and he died. So I thought, yeah, I thought the character could have been used better. And in that sequence on that planet, I found that was a real point where I was going, oh, what's going on? Can something just happen? You know, yeah. it's just people wandering around in the rain and lying on top of mountains, aiming at people and things exploding and stuff. And it felt like... When Krennic showed up with his death troopers and, and killed the scientists, that was very obvious that he was going to shoot them anyway. That was like Tarkin blowing up Alderaan yeah. anyway. <laughs> and I thought, you know, yeah, Krennic, I get that he's a bad dude. Right. But I, I, I don't know. I felt like, again, that's a part of Krennic as well that I felt could have been explored more. It would have Maybe it would have been more interesting if he tried to appeal to... Galen as an old friend or something like that. I don't know. Those are just things that obviously come into they my have mind. a relationship. Yeah, I just think that that was a part of the film that I, yeah, that film that that parts the Saw Gerrera planet part and that part because those are two quite substantial bits of the film that I. Those are when things started for me. I was thinking, oh, this isn't. I don't know who these characters are. I don't care. And they're in these boring environments where it feels like nothing interesting is happening. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm oversimplifying it. No, I think that's very fair. 
then, because it's after that yeah. where the movie actually gets like kind of good it, and it interesting. Ste- it steps up yeah. when they go to Scarif. And I'm wondering if all the people that talk about how much they love the movie mm, are mm, just impressed yes. by this ending yeah. of it and are forgetting all the meandering about the first <laughs> these Mar- first Mar- sentences. <laughs> <laughs> the meandering. I think. Yeah, about these first sequences. Carmen Mirandering. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was mean. That's um, right. No. Uh, yes. I No, I thought this as well. I, I don't want to assume what other people think. Yeah. But I like, don't want to assume, but I honestly don't know how you could otherwise have come out of that movie saying yeah. it's the best one ever. I think... Yeah, I thought were people blinded by this the fan service and the final battle... Because people don't seem to be saying much about the new characters mm. or the first three quarters of the film. People don't seem to be saying very much about that at all. They seem to be going like, oh, it was so cool when Darth Vader was in the corridor and he killed all those people. And that's that seems to be the main thing that people are talking about and, and the aspects of the battle, the space battle. I think when we get into the rewatch cycle, mm. uh, opinions will start to shift. Well, it's, and we'll get to this in kind of part two. We're going to do a follow-up podcast. Ooh. But this this is what's happened with Force Awakens, so I think it may well happen here as well. Bum, bum, bum. But the battle on Scarif, there were definitely aspects I liked. That the that was when the corny line from the trailers, make ten men feel like a hundred. I felt that sounds really lame. But then that actually, there was a reason he said that in the film. It was that they were going to do this thing to make the Imperials feel that there were more rebels attacking than there yeah. actually were. By putting bombs all over the beach. And there was stuff like that that was clever. And... I did feel like that battle, there were points where I just felt like guys were shooting each other with lasers. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, and, don't care. <laughs> but there was stuff that was effective, like when the when the Rebel fleet showed up and some X-Wings got into the shield and they were blowing up the Adat Walkers and things like that. I thought, oh, you know, that's a sensible that cool. thing because yep. that is what, you know, air superiority beats ground units. It's like planes beat tanks and things like that in real life. And there was an, there were elements of realism to it that I liked, but there also was stuff going on where we need to attach this to this, and you need to send this signal here. And Bodie, you got to plug a big cable into the <laughs> ship, but then we're going to transmit something to you, maybe. And yeah, and that the really weird thing about that part, particularly, like okay, you need to tell them mm. to lower the shield yeah. as priority one, but they because. Yeah. Before they decided that they needed to tell the fleet this, the fleet had already started (laughs) attacking the shield and trying to destroy it. The fleet showed up and Admiral Akbar's cousin or whatever, it sounded like his name was Admiral Raddy. (laughs) We've we've got to take that shield down. It's the first thing he says. Then they're saying, you've got to tell the rebels to take down the shield. It's like, well, they are. I guess they just didn't know, but... Yeah, it was slightly redundant. Mm-hmm. And and there were silly bits like, yes, we've got to take down the shield, we've got to plug in the thing, get to the giant, obvious satellite dish on top of the <laughs> on top of the giant spike that's like the Imperial plan library <laughs> with his ridiculous handles to get the hard yeah, drive. I, I still thought that was kind of it a was, cool concept. It was, it was interesting. It just Particularly felt unnecessary. In like the Star Wars like world mm. 
because of when it was made, their vision of the future is not one that has the same yeah. methods of storing yeah. information and stuff that we have today. And it was an, a nice contrast to like prequel style, like glowy, yep. like like library shelves with blue glowy things on them. Yeah, exactly. So I liked all these like hard drives, like physical yeah. data, like storage units and stuff. Yes. It was really cool. Although getting the plans, again, getting the plans through the door, like a physical disc, kind of, again, contradicts New Hope when Darth Vader says a number of uh, transmissions were beamed. Yes. Unless the the transmission they beamed and then they copied that onto a hard disc. And put that in the little yeah, ship I, I guess. that had layer on it, and they I guess escaped it's just it. like they weren't technically beamed in layers ship; they yeah. were beamed with the flagship. But you know, stupid nitpick. But I thought again, there was stuff like, oh, someone's got to pull the big lever, and it was like, <laughs> oh, where is it? And it's like, dun, it's out on the beach, and there's this big lever sticking out of a desk <laughs> like, on the beach. Hello, I'm the big lever, <laughs> and you, you instantly know that that uh, Chirrut is going to have to be the one. He's going to be like walking, walks across, uh, walking the... between raindrops, kind yeah. of thing, going out there to do it, and, and that was predictable. But I, I mean, I didn't think that. It, using him in that way was bad. I just thought it was a bit silly again that it's like we've got to plug in the big cable and pull the big lever. And mm. there's that Scottish guy who keep getting the messages saying, "Oh, you got to pull it." He's like, "What? Where's the lever? What are you talking about?" Though he was sort of added into the mix, um, <laughs> the leader of the soldiers. And yeah, I just thought that there were a lot of elements like that that weren't as weren't strictly necessary to that whole aspect of the plan but you know there were aspects of the battle that were good yeah like it wasn't a bad battle sequence overall like it was still enjoyable to watch and i really i i did really dig it when that ship rammed into the uh, the star destroyer even though it seems like a classic way of taking out star destroyers is to drive them into each other Mm. Like, you think yeah. if, <laughs> if that was the case, you would fly them in some different formations or something. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, or you wouldn't have them so close to each other. Yeah, exactly. That was... Yeah, that was interesting. I, I found it a bit silly, but in some respects, because it kind of felt like in other things, you know, they in other parts of the battle, the tactics were a little more realistic. Yeah, yeah. But... I like the bit where Vader's Star Destroyer came out of hyperspace and the Rebel ship started crashing into it. Yeah, because they're like about that. to like escape yeah, yeah. out that way and it just mm. gets in the way. I was like, whoa. Yes, and the use of... It was a very Return of the Jedi-style Rebel fleet that showed up, and I guess that's trying to explain why in the rest of the trilogy, in the original trilogy up until Return of the Jedi... We don't see that because, oh, they, maybe they were trying to recover and rebuild the fleet after yeah. this big battle. And I liked, I kind of like seeing that they use that old footage of from New Hope. Of, For the different, know, like, Red, leaders. Red leader yeah. and gold leader and stuff. That, that kind of worked and it made sense. And apparently there's an explanation for why Luke is in Red Squadron in that... Because Red 5, I think, get, got killed in the, oh, okay. in the battle. I, I read that someone pointed that out. That's cool. One of the ships in the battle, which I didn't notice, which annoys me, because I watched the show, was the ship from Star Wars Rebels, the cartoon show. Uh, the Ghost, it's called. 
and I didn't notice it. And that's meant to be flying around. That in was the in battle. the battle, yeah. And the 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 character Hera, who was the captain of the ship, was call, called him. for over a loudspeaker at the base. Um, and and the the droid from that apparently was in the background. Do you think uh, that ship ship met its end, or I don't know, maybe mm. it did. Because Rebels is going to have to end at some point. Um, but well, what do you think of R2 and C3PO having the. That was pointless. Ca- that was pointless. <laughs> it was pointless. It was a bit funny, though. Mm. Like them back in the, the Rebel thing and everyone's yeah. flying away. Although I don't think. Um, like they should have been there. Like, shouldn't have they been on Leia's ship? Yeah, it sounded like they thought that they were being left behind. Yeah, but exactly. Logically, they got on Leia's ship, which was presumably there in the battle because it was Leia's ship was inside the, the other the, ship, the big ship, yeah. the flagship. Yeah. But then C three PO and R two D two were like on a rebel base that was launching. Yeah, it felt like they fighters. were. Uh, they, it sounded like C three PO was saying, "Oh, everyone else is." Going yeah, they're all going where they were going. But yeah. yeah. So that was a bit, like, stupid of the whole thing. But I was still like, ha, 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 it's that. Yeah, oh, look. you got to have them in every... St- yeah, you, yeah, to put them in every single one. Um, and it was nice to see R2-D2 not being a corpse again. Like, actually doing stuff. Whereas opposed to Enforce Awakens, where it's just, like... Oh, but, but R2 was like, just there for like a second. Yeah, but he still like did some woos and stuff. Like R2 and like, was more awake that was in nice. Force Awakens <laughs> than he was in Rogue One. I mean, for the like split second he was in Rogue One. He was in it like a couple of scenes awake, like at the end was of he? Force Awakens. He came with Ray and Chewie on the Millennium Falcon to... Yeah, he didn't climb up on. any stairs though. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Yeah, but you know, so much fan service being added in by that point. Yeah. And I really think people are going like, oh, that was cool. And then not thinking about like all the really boring stuff earlier in the film. The part where the movie was a mess. Mm. So, but I think in some respects, even though it kind of, I'm probably unnecessarily harsh on Rogue One because people are being so over-the-top positive about it. And I I'm think like, I'm being harsh on Rogue One because it's something that we care about. And yeah, we've yeah. seen the license handled poorly before. Yeah, and, and I we think... we don't want it to be handled poorly In, in some respects, so this was the first of these anthology films. Mm-hmm. They're trying to find their feet. And it probably... In, and in some respects, it did a good job. Uh, in some respects, it didn't. But maybe it's like it's understandable all things considered if you you know if you want to take this film and this this you know money money making machine if you want to like treat it like it's a you know a kid on its training wheels kind of thing you know like we're patting it on the head saying good job giving it more sympathy than perhaps it deserves deserves. (laughs) because it's you know they made what they care about at the end of the day is making their money but that you know there were yeah there were aspects of it that were su- successful there were aspects of it that weren't and at the end of the film when they got blown up unfortunately I didn't care about yeah. them and I felt oh Jin and Cassian are they going to survive no they're not going to survive oh, okay I guess when K2SO got killed I kind of felt a little bad for him but not really not ultimately <laughs> like, eh. um, yeah I think. All the people that are saying it's the best thing ever, they've best movie ever of the franchise, 
or even better than all of them other than Emperor or whatever, need to just think, is it by itself a movie? Like, does it have a story mm. that works well? Yeah. And for me, it fails that yeah. test. I still enjoyed it as, like, an experience. Yeah. But the beginning of it is a mess, and that by itself excludes it from yeah. being the best movie. I feel like I, I want to watch, like, a fan edit of it that cuts out Ooh, tons of stuff. Yeah. Tons of... Tons of arsing around on the first couple of planets <laughs> yeah i think that would be very good i f- think i would find that more tolerable because every time i think like oh it'd be cool to rewatch it to see that bit and that bit but then i think oh but what about all those really boring bits i'd have to get to yeah, the first up to hour it? you have to sit through and, yeah, yeah i don't want to watch that bit again and so overall i think that it's yeah mixed results yeah It's not the worst thing that's happened to Star Wars, but it's definitely not the best. No. And so my, my thought coming out of it would be, you know, when you, when you look back on that film, pay attention to what made up a lot of the film would be my assessment. And I hope, I hope that they, that the people who are making these don't just get blown away by everyone saying how good it is. And I hope that the people people like us and there are other people saying this who are saying you know needed a bit more character work needed a bit more pacing early on i hope that those voices do get heard amid the watch because i do think there's the potential there's the resources and the enthusiasm here to make something really good but they need a bit more practice before that's gonna gonna happen yeah i think that's that's a good note to end it on all right uh catch our part two star wars yeah if you want to hear our thoughts about non-rogue one things that are going on in the star wars world at the moment or similar okay see you then may the force be with you